Moncrief on News Talk. Stuff that changed the world. The mobile phone, the internet changed the world. Penicillin, I would have thought. I would say sanitation. It changes everything. Simon Tierney joins us once again to talk about something that may or may not be necessary. I speak of mouthwash. As yeah, far as you can uh, ascertain, what's the situation? Well, I'm not a mouthwash user, Sean. I, I refuse to use mouthwash because I'm already spending money on toothpaste. Yeah. So I'm halfway there. And if you're brushing your teeth properly with a decent toothpaste, mm-hmm. why would you be bothered? I mean, I, I remember using mouthwash when I was a teenager if I wanted to mask the smell of fags on my mm. breath. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but apart from that, yeah. I don't see any use for it at all. Yeah. Uh, Interesting point then. So, uh, so then that means that would that mean that the genesis of of mouthwash was just kind of bogus in the sense that we'll just kind of generate a demand for something people don't know they need. Yeah, I mean, I I think a lot of the history of mouthwash is about a kind of a pseudo science. Um, you know, we'll we'll get to the the invention of halitosis in a, in a minute, but it's really the Romans who started using mouthwash in the first place. They're the ones that are responsible for it. Um, what they wanted was they wanted ammonia. Um, they believed that ammonia was an antiseptic, which it can be, and um, the the best place to get free ammonia is from urine, of course. Mm. So there was a big trade on urine. Um, in in ancient Rome, particularly from the first century AD um, under uh, Nero, who realised that there was so much urine being imported from Portuguese, noted for their strong and pungent urine, apparently, um, that he decided to tax it. Uh, he called this the vectigal urinoi, which means urine tax. And... Um, it was it was all the rage. I mean, when, when I say that, and Sean, how did Big Urine respond to this tax? <laughs> Big Urine. Um, it, it's funny because you know it sounds disgusting and all the rest, but urine is something that was used for all sorts of cleaning. Uh, jobs back in the day mm. in, in ancient Rome uh, when you went to a public laundry there was a big clay pot that you could pop your urine in or you could pee into it as a sort of a shared uh, shared vat of Daz is essentially sort of what it was being used What I don't as. understand is why you had to import all this Portuguese urine when you know Romans were perfectly capable of urinating themselves There was a myth that the Portuguese produced the best pee in the world <laughs> Um, it was like it was, I mean you gotta hand it to them that's marketing it, it, it was like saying Sean why don't you buy this lovely Romanian wine instead of that lovely Italian wine you know Portuguese they had the the market surrounded well, so, so uh, they had it yeah. sewn up and the Portuguese pea was the best one you know you'd go to someone's house and you'd show off your mouthwash and they'd be like mm, vintage Porto uh, 73 AD nice nice vintage nice vintage uh, so that's that's the way it worked. Um, even Vespasian, who was a later emperor um, and the father of Titus, another future emperor, he also taxed urine and Titus was disgusted by this and he uh, interrogated his father about it and his father famously said, pecunia non olet, which means money doesn't stink. The point being, I don't care where we get our taxes, even if it comes from the pee off the man in the street, we'll get the money. Right, OK. It's it's kind of not the money's fault, so to speak. Right, OK then. Uh, 
And were people using urine as mouthwash at that time? Yes, they were. Yeah. Was it? Did they water it down, or 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 just like? Uh, I don't know if it was. I don't know if it was watered down, but I know that the bottles of Portuguese urine came in their pure form, and whether you decided to dilute that or not was up to yourself. Mm. Um, obviously, it's a terrible idea and dangerous <laughs> and it shouldn't be done. Um, but that's the early... The reason I mentioned that is because it has nothing really to do with the industry in the modern sense, but the reason I mention it, Sean, is because it shows that historically we as humans, we've always had an interest in um, in mouth hygiene. Mm. And um, also we'll, we're prepared to believe anything. If, we're if also for, prepared yeah. to believe anything if it's advertised correctly. And you've hit the nail on the head there because the history of mouthwash is really the history of advertising. It's like uh, many years ago on this series, we discussed the history of deodorant. It's a very similar thing mm. because what happened was when Listerine, which is really the, you know, the the, uh, the father of the modern mouthwash industry, uh, it gets its name, of course, from Dr. Joseph Lister, the English scientist who um, took germ theory and applied it to hospital settings and was the first to kind of really properly sterilise hospital equipment using carbolic acid. Um, Now, he didn't invent mouthwash, but what he did do was he inspired a certain Dr. Joseph Lawrence of Missouri, um, St. Louis and Missouri, across the other side of the Atlantic. In 1879, he decided that there was something to be done with commercialising antiseptics for a domestic audience. And he created a product using alcohol that was sold as a solution for bathing wounds at home, foot cleaning, floor scrubbing, a cure for dandruff and even for treating gonorrhea. And this product was called Listerine. But it wasn't to be put in your mouth at all. Yes. Because it was an antiseptic of some sort. This is like Dettol of the day. It was. That's exactly what I was thinking before I I came in. It was like Savlon, Dettol, those kind of things that when I was growing up, my mother sort of thought was the solution to all problems. Um, that was what Listerine was in the 1870s. But in the 1890s, it changes when research is undertaken, which suggested that actually these products could be helpful for... Um, for for uh, mouth hygiene, mm. uh, for oral hygiene. And it was in the 1890s that a German entrepreneur in Dresden, Carl August Ligner, he brought out a mouthwash called Odal, which is still a v- very big brand of oh, mouthwash right. today. I'm not sure if it's available in Ireland, but it's big on the continent there. And um, he was the first to create a mouthwash which had medical and cosmetic effects. So what he did was he mixed an antiseptic with um, essential oils to give it a a nice flavour. And he packaged it all up in this product called Odal. And within a few years, through brilliant marketing, including the employment of one um, uh, uh, Giacomo Puccini, the famous opera uh, composer okay. of, uh, you know, Madame Butterfly and La Boheme. He even got him on board to advertise his product. In the in 1902, Puccini wrote an ode to Odal, 
And it said, <laughs> this is the English translation. This was used to advertise mouthwash, right? It was, praise to Odal, the sweet liqueur that makes tooth pain disappear. All you Rodolfos, all who have bad breath, use Odal in this way. Our dollars will pour away. This is the beginning of an incredible century of advertising in both Europe and America that delivered and convinced a population that they needed a product that it's questionable to say the least if they needed it at all in the first place. Yeah, it's it's amazing and it's it's amazing how familiar it is get a well-known person to make your jingle for you. Uh, kind of thing. And I'm looking yeah. at images for Odal now it's, you know, not very appealing looking, I'll be honest. It with looks you. quite medical with it the kind does. of spout coming yeah, in. It looks a bit like it looks like stuff you'd use for cleaning your toilet. Uh, yeah, it does. Uh, yeah. It does a bang a toilet duck off it. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, now, and uh, then the kind of I suppose it's not so much the product matured, but the uh, the advertising and the marketing became uh, um, more subtle. Well, maybe not subtle is the word. Maybe even a bit sinister. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where I was drawing the parallels with you a moment ago, Sean, between mouthwash and deodorant, because the 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 advertising parallels are really quite extraordinary. Jordan Lambert um, owned the company which produced Listerine. And in the 1920s, they were selling very small amounts of this product. Uh, their turnover was about $100,000 a year, um, which even at that time wasn't that much for, for a company. Um, and what they decided to do was to stigmatize bad breath, um, which is what the deodorant industry did, of course, at the same time with body odor. Um, they decided to stigmatize it, but also to medicalize it. And Jordan Lambert, he came across a term in an old Latin health textbook called halitosis, which literally means bad breath. This is a word that nobody had heard of in the 1920s. And he started to use this in an advertising campaign with a fictional woman by the name of Edna. Okay. And they created this character of Edna who was beautiful and eligible and of marriageable age, but she was single and no man was interested in her, despite being charming and funny and having everything else going for her in the world. But she had one problem, and that's that she had halitosis and no man was interested in her. Now, Sean, this campaign, uh, within six years, the turnover of Listerine had gone from $100,000 in 1921 to $4 million in 1927. It's considered one of the most successful advertising campaigns in American history. Let me read out one of the lines from the ad. Now, I did uh, tweet some photographs you did, yeah. uh, of these advertisements. Poor Edna. Poor Edna. The, the, the text of the ad in 1921, it says, Edna, a beautiful young woman with all the charm and social graces that made her desirable, except for one fatal flaw, Edna suffered from halitosis. What made it worse was that she didn't even know it. Not even her closest friends would tell her. And so poor Edna, despite all of her charms, was, and this is the famous phrase, always the bridesmaid and never the bride. That's extraordinary. And what's actually, what's even more extraordinary is that, like, they just made up the term halitosis. It wasn't a recognised medical condition. No, but it, no. but if, you, uh, if you Google it now, and I'm looking at the webpage of John Hopkins Medicine, 
Uh, halitosis is an oral health problem where the main symptom is bad smelling breath. In most cases, finding the cause of the bad breath is a first step towards treating this preventable condition. So it's kind of medically... The tail yeah. wagged the dog pretty much on that one. Yeah, I mean, the bad breath industry uh, is a huge industry now, Sean. Uh, I know, and I don't want to minimise the experience of people who suffer with this. Uh, it, it It is very difficult for people, I know that. But the point that I'm making is the the i mean it's it's classic american capitalism in the sense that they find a vulnerability in people and mm. exploit it to the nth degree yeah. to to extraordinary success and because i suppose people react better to things they fear this was an extraordinarily successful advertising campaign it was unbelievably uh successful they stretched themselves too far though Sean. oh um in 1927 listerine was <laughs> this actually relates to where you came in about what your original <laughs> exactly, use of mouthwash yeah, it comes full circle <laughs> Listerine decided to launch Listerine cigarettes I would love to have been at the pitch meeting for that <laughs> guys I've got a great idea let's marry cigarettes and mouthwash and that's literally what it was um, I'll tweet a picture of this later but for five years Listerine cigarettes did exist as a product that you could buy in your local news agent it advertised itself as Listerine cigarettes are pleasantly soothing and cooling to the throat and they were made with um, impregnated fine tobacco with antiseptic essential oils. So the point was, and they claim this in the advertisement, this is like Dettol will kill 99% of um, germs. They said uh, Listerine will kill 200 million germs in 15 seconds and help smokers avoid colds. So. Ah, yeah, of course it will. So they were kind of like menthol cigarettes, but with bogus they were claims attached to them. Proto menthol yeah. cigarettes, yeah. My word. Phil says, Did you know that the ingredient in mouthwash that makes your mouth tingle is put there for no other reason than to make your mouth tingle so it feels a bit medical and sciencey? Mm, I don't nice. know if science is a word, but I like it, <laughs> Phil. And uh, Barry says, I read this book by an Irish priest a few years ago. He'd worked high up in the mountains of Bolivia, where water is very scarce due to the altitude and the climate. He could never understand how the village women's long black hair was kept so clean and shiny. He discovered that they would keep urine in buckets outside the house and after a few days would lose its smell and would be used to wash their hair. There you go. Yeah, yeah, it still happens. Absolutely. Uh, and Eugene says, mistaking urine for something else is easily done. I once found an old plastic bottle of Lucasade under the seat in the van. It was identical to a store-bought <laughs> bottle right down to the fizz when I opened it. Alas, the first <laughs> mouthful told me it wasn't what I thought. Good God, man, I hope you weren't driving at the time. Uh, Simon, thanks a million. As our Simon Tierney, there you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Moncrief on News Talk.